Praise God. It is so good to be home. Man, how are y'all doing? How's your mama? I'm just checking in. We're family, y'all. And, and listen, I, 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 man, I just love it here. I literally drove on the campus a couple of hours ago and went, ah, I'm home. This is beautiful. You look good. Man, it's good to be back. And yes, uh, my wife and I, Hush Marine, we've, we've been traveling in evangelism for over 22 years, um, yelling and screaming at people about Jesus. And then last December, we backslid and accepted a pastoral position as lead pastors of Winston-Salem First Assembly in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And we love it there. It's amazing. And we love it. And our church are great people. Uh, every day we're like, I can't believe they actually wanted us. And uh, we had, get this, we, they voted. Like, I've never preached and then people vote on me. <laughs> like, I've preached and people gave money. I was like, hallelujah, we can eat. But I've never preached and people go, hated it. You know what I mean? That's just different. So I, I preached last December on the, I think it was the 12th of December. I preached and then a 95% of the people raised their hand and I'm still looking for that 5%. Stab them in their big toe. But man, it's, it's such a joy to, to be back. And now as a pastor, it's kind of weird because now I'm wearing glasses when I communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, but I am not dignified at all. You'll see in just a minute. Men, get ready tomorrow morning. We're going to have a crazy time. Don't tell the ladies. You're my favorite. It's going to be great. Tomorrow morning at 1030, I'm going to be jazzed up with lots of coffee. I hope you come ready to, to dine on delicious carbohydrates. And then we're going to jump into the word of God. And God is going to wreck all of us tomorrow morning, men. I'm going to equip you with tools that you need to lead and raise and bless your family and your life. It's going to be great. Um, I don't believe in bad men, nor do I believe in bashing women. I believe in equipping people so that they can do the work of the ministry. That's what we're going to do tomorrow morning and all weekend this weekend. Tonight, this message is brought to you by the Bible. So grab your Bible, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. Um, and, and Pookie, come on down. My, my bride is here with me. Come on down, love. Um, I'd like to introduce you to the first lady of Winston-Salem First Assembly, my bride, Hush Marine. Uh, we've been married 24 years. Yeah. Hey, girl. Mm. You look so good to me. All right. Um, I would like her to say hi to you guys, and then I'll tell you about some stuff that we have at the table for you. Hello. It's so good to be here in Minnesota. Yeah. Gosh, well, Mark was saying earlier that we've been here for many years. Decades, babe. So our oldest oh. is 19, and um, his name is Israel. He wishes he could be here. He was very sad that he's not. But um, when we first came here to Lake Geneva, he would crawl on the tables in the back. So that's how long we've been coming here. Yeah. And then our youngest is 17. And, um, you know, the lady up here that was sharing earlier about all of the legacy of um, her family getting saved, our son was healed from seizures right here at the altar. So this is an amazing place. We have so many great memories, and it's so good to be here. But um, I'll be in the back there with the um, 
with our merch, yeah, that Alan's gonna talk about. And I'd love to meet you, say hello, and um, hug your neck if I can. Um, but it's so good to be here, thank you. Thanks, baby. <sighs> She's my lady. Yes. Um, at the back with Pookie, you can pick up some of our ministry, uh, ministry equipping tools. We have um, messages and sermon series that are available on DVD and CD, both copies. And, and what's funny is teenagers have been blowing this up. For some reason, teenagers now like physical media. They have DVD players in their Xbox, their PlayStation. So it's been nuts. It's this resurgence of regular media. They want to own stuff again, which is really cool. Our real estate's going down, so owning that's not going to be as good, but owning this is going to appreciate right now. And you can get the ser sermon series I'm preaching out of this weekend called The Aroma. I believe it's going to change your life. In fact, you'll probably never look at yourself the same way again. Um, this series will really impact you. Everybody make me feel good and go, ooh, ah, ready, go. Do it backwards. Do it frontwards, but real big. I love all of you so much. <laughs> you just go with me, and I love you. Um, by the way, if you'd like to win this, um, to, uh, what is it, Sunday morning, I'll be doing sermon trivia. You can win fabulous prizes by just taking notes during these messages and uh, tell your young people this is your chance, all right? You can get um, our book. I'll be speaking a little bit out of this book tomorrow morning with our men, but it's called Undefeated, uh, Living in Victory. And I'll tell you right now, it's not just been our best-selling book for no reason. It's because this book is all about about being a fully surrendered follower of Jesus Christ and giving him more of you and receiving more, even more from him. How do you walk in, in victory every single day? Whether you're brand new to faith in Christ or you've been serving Christ your whole life, this will bless you. If you'd like me to sign your book, I'd love to sign your book. If you'd like me to give you a hug, I will hug you and squeeze you and kiss you if you're a grandparent. And I will, I'm a pastor now, and, and I will... <laughs> I love hugs, don't you? COVID was killing me. And now I can hug people. Just get ready for a big sweaty chocolate hug after service, okay? Because I'm coming for you. It's going to be awesome. But you can pick up this book at the back. Um, I've told this story a bunch of times. When we released the book, I, I was praying and literally praying hard, like, God, please let people buy this book. We have like 15,000 of them in storage. Jesus, please let people buy this book. And they did. Our book shot up our publisher's bestsellers list, y'all. Charisma Publishing. We outsold Joseph Prince and Joel Osteen. Hey. For nine days. Um, and then they crushed us, but it was a great nine days. I felt like the, I, was, I was walking on sunshine. You know, it was great. And, and then I got jacked. Yeah. Thank you. I love you. Holy Spirit fingers. You're my favorites. And then we have a t-shirt. Normally we have a t-shirt. The t-shirt really um, helps our family, but um, we have this hobby as a family of ministry, and our hobby is teenagers in foster care. And so when you pick up a t-shirt or anything at the table, now the funds go to our uh, ministry to teenagers in foster care. I'll share more about it later, but, um, and kind of seed it through the weekend because this is one of the very districts that helped me launch that ministry called Accelerate. And, um, but this shirt is really fun because this is what Murica needs. Lean over to your neighbor and say, Murica needs Jesus. 
That's all they need is Jesus. That's, when I turn on, I don't watch the news. I stopped watching the news six and a half years ago. But when I hear people talk about the news, I'm like, oh, Lord, do you know what America needs? When I hear stuff that presidents and leaders, I go, we need... When I hear people getting shot and stuff happening, I go, oh my goodness, Lord, we need more. That's what we need. And Jesus is going to walk in your shoes and we can bring Jesus to our world. One thing we can do is wear a shirt that says, because that's what we need. Everybody needs Jesus. He is the answer. And you can rock that. And then we want to have some fun. So on the back, it says he's been the, he's been the light. He's been lit since Genesis. I love that. And the whole back of the shirt glows in the dark, so you'll find your family at camp. This will be great. Um, if you're a man that wears an XL or a lady who's not afraid to say you wear one, raise your hand. I'd like to bring you a shirt. Okay, you. You are the first person to, Pastor, what's up? You get the shirt. All right. Fabulous prizes. Here we go. If you're ready for the word, somebody say, let's go. I'm so excited. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 13. We're talking really briefly about King David. And David was in trouble. Mm -hmm. Every time I turn around reading stories about David, David's in trouble. He could be out in the field watching some sheep and all of a sudden lions and tigers and bears are trying to kill him. Or he's trying to bring some cheese sandwiches to his brothers and all of a sudden a huge giant champion named Goliath wants to murder him. It didn't matter what he did when he was worship leading. The king tried to kill him with a spear. How many of y'all, your boss tried to kill you? I mean, that's a rough job. By the way, my church is looking for a worship pastor. If you, uh, hallelujah. Can you imagine you're trying to lead worship? You're like, ah, you know, because he's throwing spears at you. This is crazy. But this time, David's in trouble again. And what I love about David is even though he was often in trouble, he never gave up on God. He walked in victory even through the problems and the attacks that he endured. He never quit on God. Some of us, man, we look at the gas prices and want to quit on God. We're like, God, where are you? $150 for my Kia? Really? And, and David just, I don't know how he did it, man. He took a lick and kept on ticking. Remember Timex? He just kept going. So I want us to study his life tonight and discover how we can go through difficulty but endure into victory. Watch this. This time, David's own son, Absalom, is trying to murder him and steal his throne. That boy just needed a whooping. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are now with Absalom in his plot to overthrow you. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, he says, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us, bring ruin on us and put the whole city to the sword. The king's officials answered him and said, your servants are ready to do whatever the Lord, uh, whatever our Lord the king chooses. So the king set out with his entire household following him, but he left 10 concubines to take care of the palace. We are not talking about concubines tonight. We'll talk about that in men's session tomorrow morning. I'm just kidding. We're not. 
So the king set out with all the people following him, and they halted at the edge of the city. Oh, I'm going to preach the mess out of that. All his men marched past him, along with all the Carathites and the Pelatites and the 600 Gittites who had accompanied him from Gath, marched before the king. Verse 23, the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The, the king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on toward the wilderness. Zadok was there too. And all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They were carrying the, of the, of, what is that? What is the Ark of the Covenant of God? Oh, you guys are so, I should have known. The presence of God. And what shape was it in? Like, like a rectangle, like a box, right? And here's what's, here's what's amazing. In the Old Testament, or what we would call the First Testament of the Bible, God was so kind to people who had no understanding of deity. And here's what God said to them. He said, listen, you don't understand who I am, but I'm going to do this for you. I want you to build a box. I'm going to have you put some things in that box, but I'm going to put something in that box too. I'm going to put my presence in the box. So wherever you go, carry the box. Wherever the camp is, put the box in the camp. When you worship, have the box be there. I'm not just a God who wants to lord over you. I'm a God who wants to dwell among you. I'm relational to you. Then the New Testament, Jesus shows up. And now this shift takes place. Remember the, the temple veil was ripped from top to bottom and God said, I will now make my habitation with humanity. In other words, God doesn't make his habitation in wood and stone. God makes his habitation in blood and bone. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the box. Look at your neighbor and say, you're the box. You might want to tell them the truth and say, I'm a good looking box though. I'm good looking. I'm a handsome box. So they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they set down the Ark of God and Abiathar offered sacrifices. Ooh, this is so good. Until all the people had finished leaving the city. Lord, this evening, transform us. In Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. In this story, it's so amazing, David's reaction to a coup, to people trying to overthrow him and kill him and steal his throne from him. His response is so strange. The first thing he does is he says, hey, people, come together. I'm going to protect you. Those of you that are loyal to me, I'm going to get you out of town. Then he has the soldiers go behind them. And what's strange is the soldiers were protecting the people, not the king. Mm. They were there to protect the people, but not the king. King didn't keep soldiers. They marched past him. Fascinating. The king knew his protection wasn't going to come from men. He tried to count the men a bunch of times. Who'd the protection come from? He knew who his redeemer was, his protector was. And then while the, everyone's leaving the city, he says, build an altar. We're going to offer sacrifices until everybody leaves. What? Hold up. Listen, if Godzilla is chasing us, okay, this is my story. I'm sticking to it. Godzilla is chasing us. Are you or I usually going to stop and say, let's have a time in the presence of God. Let's just pause here. Are we going to stop and have a worship service? No, son. I have a lot of giftings in my life. I am naturally handsome and I also run from trouble. I don't hang around to figure out what it is. You watch scary movies. There's always two people dumb. They stop. What is it? Dead. We've all learned from scary movies. What do you do when you see something bad? 
What do you do when you hear a strange noise at night, white people? Listen to me right now. I know you discovered half the world and you're not scared of nothing, but black folk, we've been trying to help you for a long time. When you hear a scary noise at night outside your house, do you go outside and investigate? No. Do you grab a flashlight whose light don't work? No. See, you didn't, you see, you didn't want to go with me on that one. Do you grab a flashlight that you know has trouble working? No. What do you do? Run! David refused to run. What he did do was remind himself of covenant. I got to hurry up. Um, I'm thinking about the donuts that Mark mentioned that are till tomorrow, but I feel like there might be some around here somewhere. <laughs> David knew some stuff that we need to know before we leave here. First thing I need you to know is this. David's first desire was to protect the people. Why? Because David's job was he was the king. David was the king. David was the king. David was the king. Huh. How, do, how do kings act? Check this out. 2 Samuel chapter 16. The Bible says this. A hater shows up while David's people are running for their lives. A hater shows up named Shimei. Y'all got haters in Minnesota? Do y'all know what those are? The people that wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning, they drink haterade and eat hater tots. <laughs> that no matter what you do, they got to say something negative about it. Y'all got, got those here, pastors? Y'all got some of those here. I know you do. I got several at my church. They like talking to me. Haters. Th this dude's name was Shimei. Everybody say that name. Shimei. I'm going to put that in the Urban Dictionary as a cuss word so Christian people can cuss without cussing. So if you wake up in the morning and you stub your toe, you can go, shimmy <laughs> It's also another name you can't name your kids. Like Jezebel. You ain't never met a girl named Jezebel in your entire life. So I'm going to make shimmy the new cuss word, okay? That's my version. shimmy was a hater of the highest order. David and his men were marching by, and shimmy see, he was for the last king. He was all about that last king. He starts throwing rocks and dirt at David, at the king, y'all. And he says, David, you're nothing but a murderer and a scoundrel. I hate you. And this is what the Bible says, that David says nothing. Why? He's a king. Kings act different. Kings are different, y'all. See, kings don't fight. They're distractions. They don't fight wars for personal insults. Kings fight battles for two reasons, to enlarge the kingdom or to protect the kingdom. Not because somebody talked about his mama, not because somebody threw rocks and sticks and stones and things at him, but because it had nothing to do with his purpose, which was to protect his people and to enlarge his kingdom. He wasn't going to waste his time fighting a hater, fighting a distraction. He wasn't going to do it. Can I talk to you about you for just a second? You are royal. The Bible says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a 
holy nation, your peculiar people called to do one thing, to show forth his praise who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are royalty. You're not supposed to fight people for personal insults or slights. You're not supposed to fight people on Facebook when they say things you don't like. You're not supposed to fight people and be a commando on the keyboard and talk about people mama. We are supposed to fight for two things, to protect people from the devil and to enlarge the kingdom of God with the word of God every moment of every single day. That's our job. Shoot. You're king's kids. That's who you are. Back when I was growing up, they, kids in the neighborhood just say, that's what you is. You're royalty. Shoot. Don't fight a distraction. Here's what I've learned. What you fight, because you're God's, he says, if you fight, you win. What you win, you possess. What you possess, you become. Ooh, I'm preaching, y'all. When you fight, you win. What you win, you possess. And what you possess, you become. If you fight a critic, all you're going to do is get what your critic has. You're going to get critical. Two years ago before COVID, you were nice. Only people nicer than you were Canadian. (laughs) But man, this last two years, we start getting a little funky. But I've got good news. It can all change in a matter of a moment. When you and I realize who we are and we start to walk in the purpose and the identity that God has called us to be, we are the righteousness and the joy and the peace of the kingdom of God. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom of God to our communities and we can do this. We can walk in our divine identity. How do we walk through hardship when garbage is going on all around us and live in faith. Two points and we're done. Number one, remember your identity. Say that with me. I'm going to remember my identity. I'm convinced and, 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 and y'all, I've been living for Jesus almost my entire life. I got saved at eight years old and I have not backslidden. Okay, there's that one time I tried to say I'm not going to be a preacher and I'm going to be a helicopter pilot. That lasted like two weeks. Okay, (laughs) but other than that, I've been living for God almost my entire life, longer than I ever didn't live for God. And and here's what I've, I've learned. I struggle with me more than the devil. My biggest struggle is not the devil. My biggest struggle is Alan. Alan be tripping. Alan's got problems. And Alan gets Alan in trouble. And one of the main reasons is because I usually forget who I am. It's really easy on both sides, for the good and for the, for the, for the worse. It, it happens a lot. And I'm convinced that you and I struggle so much with our identity that almost a theology has a, approached us that we start to subscribe. And that theology is this. You know, God doesn't care about my body. He only cares about my soul. So, you know, it's okay if I don't get healed or if I don't have a breakthrough or I don't see deliverance or I don't, because on this side, it's going to be rough. But on that side, let me give you my answer from the word of God. That's not true, dude. That's not true. I'm not saying we're going to get everything we want. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is you and I don't know who we are and we do not understand our value to God. When struggles come your way and problems come your way, when you know who you are, you understand that God is in love with you and nothing that happens to you is outside of his control. 
that he is always in control. And if you understand that and then you know how much he loves you, you won't worry at all. At all. David was not worried. That's why he paused to build an altar. Let me break it down and then we're going to be done. All right, let's break it down real quick. Let's do one thing to help you understand it. Um, since I'm preaching on the, on the, the, the senses, the five senses, uh, actually there's six, but five senses this weekend. Let's start with this one. Everybody do this. Okay, you did that. Just do it again. Now, if that doesn't work, we ask that you stand up, go outside, go back to your room, quarantine for about two weeks. <laughs> Too soon? Is that? I love you. Just that one thing, just sniffing, would help you and I understand our value so that when you're in a difficult time, you'll understand that God cares about your, fe- your flesh, not just your soul. Just that one sense. God made it. He made sniff. He made aroma. And, and it's so beautiful. And here's the thing. I used to struggle thinking, man, God don't care about my little situation. God doesn't care about my struggles with my finances or God doesn't care about my physical problems and pains. God doesn't care. There's kids that need food. There's people that are hungry and homeless. Yes, there are. And he cares about all of us and he's able to do it all at the same time. And a lot of times he does the care through you. This is how much he loves you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful. The word wonderful used to describe your body is the same word used to describe Jesus by the prophets when they said, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That word was used to describe your body. Your body is wonderful. And when I study your body, I learn about the Creator. Your body made in the image of God. With his physical form and physical functions, you are made in his image. Brother, if you knew it was good for you right now, you lean over. This is what I'm going to teach you all tomorrow. Lean over your wife right now and say, girl, your body is wonderful. You might even say, your body is a wonder. I'm just trying to help y'all. This is, this is church growth right here. Smells are so powerful. Your body is so amazing that smells that you sniff are powerful and they can completely change rooms, change atmospheres, shift everything. How does it work? Consider this. We don't even know how our nose works, but we think we know how God works. We think we know he doesn't care about a certain situation or circumstance, but yet we don't even know how our sniffer works. Now, we learned the basics, you know, in high school and junior high. But let me break it down a little bit more for you. Your brain is so sophisticated that your brain can break down the elements of complex chemical compounds to animate an oral understanding of its identity. You could just be hanging out right now and go, hold up. Yeast, flour, a little bit of salt, a little oil. What are you smelling? Bread. You can determine in one second what kind of bread it is. Wheat, rye, pumpernickel. I just like saying pumpernickel. You can determine if it's good bread or bad bread. One, she done burnt up that bread, y'all. You can determine everything with one sniff. How does that work? Check it out. You have millions of receptors in your olfactory epithelium. Over 450 just different receptors. These receptors extend electrical signals to olfactory bulbs that extend sense to the piriform cortex of your mind and the thalamus gland. This sounds deep, but it's not. The piriform cortex identifies the smell. <laughs> Barbecue. That's deep right there. Mm. 
Then the thalamus or the relay station sends that signal simultaneously to three different places. The orbital frontal cortex, the hippocampus, and the amygdala. So first, the, the, the piriform cortex identifies the smell. Then the, the orbital frontal cortex determines the taste or the pleasure. So it goes like this. Barbecue. Then taste or pleasure. Good barbecue. There's a difference, okay? That North Carolina stuff, I ain't quite sure about that yet. Okay, then the hippocampus draws a learned response to that barbecue. So it goes like this. What'd you smell first? What kind of barbecue? Then the hippocampus goes, what are we going to do about it? Eat it! Eat it now! <laughs> My brain does that all day. Then the amygdala draws on the memory of that smell. So first we smell. What kind of barbecue? What do we do about it? And then finally the amygdala goes, 4th of July, 2018. That was a good barbecue. What is that called? Memories. I just made that up. I'm going to, I still haven't done my Wikipedia with smemories because it's not a real word, but we're going to make it a word. Smemories, a memory affixed to a smell. Your earliest recollections of life have smell attached to them. A baby can smell 20 feet away its mother's milk. Smell is the first sense that humans receive in, in abundance when they are born. Not even taste, not touch, smell. It's amazing. They definitely can't see very well. Why is smell so powerful? It's incredible. But almost every good memory has a smell. Remember Minnesota State Fair? Yeah. You smell a corn dog. You smell. I, every time I smell fair food, I'm like, and I had the time of my life. You know what I'm saying? Or you're walking through the fair and you smell some perfume from some hussy, I mean, some girl who dumped you in eighth grade. And all you can do is think about that heifer. And you're like, oh, my goodness, that girl, Susie. Oh, Susie. And you keep smelling it because that woman's right in front of you like, oh, no. And all you can think of is, now we've come to the end of the road, Susie. <laughs> don't act like you don't have some memories, man. Everybody has some memories. Good memories, bad memories. Do you know that God has memories? Dude, I'm halfway done preaching. This is good. Just give me 20, 15, uh, give me 11 more minutes. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Here's what happens. God has memories. Noah, remember he comes out of the ark and he saved all of humanity, is saved from annihilation. When he comes out of the ark, here's what the Bible says. He came out of the ark, totally saved. His whole family saved, all the animals saved. Seven of every ceremony and socially clean animal. Two by two, every ceremony and socially unclean animal. And, and when he comes out, what's the first thing he does? The Bible says he builds an altar. And taking some of the ceremony and socially clean animals and clean birds, he, he offers up a sacrifice to God. And then it says this, verse 21, God smelled the pleasing aroma of his sacrifice. And God says in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Next thing you know, there's a ribbon in the sky for our love. God puts a rainbow in the sky and establishes a covenant. He says, I will be your God if you be my people. Walk in the way I command you that it may go well with you. A covenant established with an aroma affixed to it. 
An aroma that says this, when you offer a sacrifice, you are fellowshipping with God. People always think, oh, it's all about sin. No, it was about relationship. The animal sacrifice was a barbecue with the king. And the Jewish people believed they were sitting down to eat at the table with their creator, fellowshipping. More of the sacrifices were unity than they were a propitiation. They were almost always a presence model, not a payment model. They were fellowshipping. Can you imagine? You do. You eat with God every day. But they have a plate for them called the altar. So when David was running for his life, what does he do? He sets a plate. He stands there with the creator. While, while the creator's enjoying his barbecue, David is smelling the aroma of the covenant. I will be your God. You will be my people. Walk in the way I command you and it will go well for you. He was being reminded every moment with a smell that God would care for him. God would protect him. God would save him. And oh my goodness, oh, did he do so? God came through. Do you know how valuable you are to God? Do you understand your immense and incredible value? I could go on and on about aroma. Get the sermon series. I want to give you what's available for you just right now tonight. Okay, just real quick. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says this. You ready? Ephesians 5 1. I got to look it up myself. I want to make sure I don't misquote it. I've been in the New Living Translation for a little while. And it's not as fun to preach it. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, here's what it says. It's so good. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Hold up. Christ's sacrifice was an aroma. What? And I love the way the King James says it. It says this, that in the first testament of the Bible, the animal sacrifices were savory. But when Jesus gave his life on the cross, the Bible describes his sacrifice as sweet. Because what was bringing people close to God back in the day was the beginning. Every meal starts with something savory. But when Jesus came, the meal was done and Jesus said, it is. And when he said, it is finished, he was the dessert that gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter the closer you get to him. Because the closer I get to you, he gets sweeter. Because unity with him is the best, the best of sacrifices. Oh, man. But did you catch the beginning? Is that we're supposed to follow Christ's example as dearly loved children. Do you know that you're God's child? People always say this, but let me put it into a reference that, that might bring it even closer. You're God's baby. You're not God's 12-year-old. You're God's infant. Compared to the ancient of days, you are an infant. Tiny little tadpole. Both of us. As big as I am, I'm a baby. I used to think that when I got myself in trouble that I had to get myself out because I got myself in. But then I found out that I'm his baby. Has your baby ever tried to fix something and make a bigger mess? How many of y'all have had a baby reach in their own diaper? You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all have had a baby have a blowout on Easter Sunday on your white dress, Hush Marine? 
Babies aren't expected to fix anything. You know what babies are supposed to do? Trust us and keep their hands out of the way. That's what God wants from you. That's what he wants from you. Trust him and get your hands out of the way. And it's so strange because we we think that God sees us as adults, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He sees you as his baby. Let me tell you something about babies. Babies smell good. And nothing smells better than a baby. Hold up, a clean baby. Just got out of the Johnson's baby wash with the little Johnson's lavender lotion. Nothing smells better. You could just sit there and put your nose on their little head and sniff for hours, right? Right? I I did some research on that because I was studying sniff anyway, and I discovered something. Smithsonian Institute did a 40-year study on the aroma of a baby and the effect it has on its parents. Here's what they discovered. The aroma of your baby has a decided effect on you akin to heroin addiction. That when you sniff your baby, there's a physiological response inside of you like you're doing drugs. And it causes you to do two things. Number one, bond, hug, kiss, squeeze. Number two, serve. You'll do anything that baby wants. Some of you in here are like, no, nah, that ain't true. That's because you don't have babies. Once you have a baby, you lose your mind. <laughs> How many of y'all know we crazy? The minute you have a baby, you're crazy. Dad, we wake up in the middle of the night. I got to pick up two more jobs. I got to work extra hours. I got to get that baby some shoes. Your baby can't even walk yet. <laughs> right? How many times are baby clothes on sale? They never on sale. Why? Because they know they got us. They own us, right? That's how God feels about you. He loves you. By the way, I did research. Grandmama, they said you're worse than everybody. <laughs> they said when you sniff your baby, you, you revert into a child yourself and you go into oral fixation. That's why grandmama says crazy stuff to babies like, I'm going to eat you up. <laughs> I just want to chew your little toes. It's true. Because you're so crazy about them. You literally lose your mind for a moment just sniffing your baby. And guess what? Grandma can do whatever she wants. She's in charge. That's how God feels about you. Every part of you pleases him. See, that's the theology we get. We don't, don't, don't know who you are. You keep thinking, and I keep thinking that all God cares about is our good works. Good works. Good works. He doesn't care about me. He just wants my good works. No. He loves what you are, who you are, and why you are. You were made in his image. The reason why most parents find their children so attractive is because they look like them. (laughs) I find that even when you adopt, and that's one of my favorite kind of parents, parents that adopt, guess what? They start to look like you. You might even have a child that's from a different country. It's so weird. They start acting and looking and, and and living and dressing like you. And you go, mm, that baby, the best baby in the world. Because there's something of you in them that you identify with. And they're beautiful to you, no matter what. That's how God feels about you. You're his baby. Second Corinthians says this. Now, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. Always. Always. And through us diffuses his fragrance in every place. I'm preaching right now. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are living and those who are perishing. To one, we are the aroma of life leading to life. To the other, the aroma of death leading to death. And who is sufficient for these things? Let me translate that real fast. You're God's baby. When he smells you, he wants to hug you. He wants to kiss you. He wants to do anything you need. He's Jehovah Jireh. 
How do I know God feels the way we feel about our babies? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He's crazy about you. And 2 Corinthians, that, that translation means this, that not only are you God's baby, but like me, you don't stink. The scripture says this, for we are to God the aroma of Christ. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, the forgiveness of Christ from our sins, when God looks at you and when God smells you, you know what he smells? He smells his perfect son. You might say, man, I'm the dirty baby. I'm the failure baby. I'm the sinful baby. I'm the, the baby that shouldn't be trusted. But when God smells you, he doesn't smell failure. What he smells is the perfection of his son. Everything about you pleases your father. Everything. And when it's time for some saving, his babies get saved. The Bible says this, you always triumph. Babies don't lose, y'all. Your baby could run towards the stairs and daddy or mama will grab that baby and slide down those stairs backwards. Boop, 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 boop. Why? Baby's on your lap. Yay! Has no clue what just happened. You got to go to the chiropractor for six months and your baby just went to Cedar Point. That's God. You think you're heading towards the greatest disaster. And he goes, nope, picks you up, puts you on his chest and rides through it with you. He said this, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never turn my back on you. You're my baby. And everybody knows nobody puts baby in the corner. <laughs> baby always wins. Whew. We got to get out of here. Second point is my final point, and we leave with it. It's really good. Number two, how do you go through difficult times and live in victory? Piano player, come up here and make me sound spiritual, okay? <laughs> point two, final point. Remember your training. Remember your history. Whenever you're going through a difficult time, remember your training. Remember your history. Remember your identity. Remember that you're not expected to fix it, that you're his baby. And if you're his baby, get your hands out of the way. Let him do what he's going to do. In fact, what most babies do is lift their hands up and worship and praise God and trust God. Remember your training as well. What's your training? Simple. It's your history. What you've been through is training for what you're going through. I could just preach that and cut the whole thing off, right? What you've been through is your training for what you're going to go through. Has God ever failed you? He doesn't know how to fail. I don't think God's ignorant. I don't think God has limitations. But if he had an allergy, it'd be failure. He's like, I challenge you. Failure. I don't like that. He doesn't fail. He doesn't fail. He doesn't fail. To live as Christ, to die as gain, he doesn't fail. He doesn't fail. He doesn't fail. And you're not an adult. Stop it. You're a baby. He's not going to let his baby run across the highway. He's not going to let his baby fall into a vat of tar. He's not going to let his baby, he's not going to let anything happen to you that will not make you better. We'll bring you home. And both are great. My mama went home 
to be with my daddy a year ago in January. I miss her every day. I don't care how old you are. When your parents go, it hurts. My mama taught me a lot. I'll talk more about her later, but my mom and my dad, greatest heroes I've ever had in my life, they taught me a lot. One of the most important things my mama taught me was how to be, grat- how to be gracious, how to have gratitude for all God has done. He has never failed. And the best way to remind yourself that God never fails is worship. It's the best way. Tonight, that's your equipping moment. We're going to learn to worship before things change. We're going to learn to worship before they get better. We're going to learn to worship before the answer comes. Right now, I'm waiting on a mortgage answer. I'm trying to buy a house. They leave you in limbo over the weekend. You ever heard that? That's just wrong, by the way. Rocket mortgage, I'm talking to you. Before you get your yes, before you get your, your, your success, before the tragedy turns into triumph, before the morning turns into dancing, if we will worship him and thank him for what he's already done, then we'll be on the right side of the crib when daddy comes to pick us up. He won't have to walk around to get to you because you're already leaning towards him. I gotta hurry up, y'all, y'all. Let me just sing a song with you real quick. You see, while David was running for his life, David did something weird. Um, David sang. Isn't that weird? Like, you're running for your life, you build an altar, and then you're running for your life and you sing a song. Like, I'm beginning to think the Bible ain't nothing but a musical. Like you got Mary and you know, you're going to have a baby. You're a virgin, but you're still going to have the son of God. And she busts out and singing, my soul doth magnify the Lord. I'd be thinking, am I going to get stretch marks with this one? That's what I'd have been thinking. Is that not right? Y'all mad at me now? I'm sorry. I'm not so spiritual. But while David was running for his life, he sang a song. Songs are powerful. They're a great reminder of who God is. Some people say, I don't like singing. I say to you, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You just don't like the way we sing. But everybody has a song. And if you'll use that gift to remember, then you're worshiping. That's what worship is. It's a remembrance. While David was running for his life, he had no clue that 40 days later, God would redeem him. He had no clue that less than 40 days later, he'd be back in his temple, his castle. Less than 40 days later, he'd be hugging his babies. Less than 40 days later, Absalom would be defeated and he would be reestablished on the throne of Jerusalem. He had no clue, but I've got good news. He sang before it happened. He worshiped before it happened. He praised God before it happened because he put his trust in the king. Psalm 3, 
He said, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are there saying of me, there is no help for him and God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I cried to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept and I awoke for the Lord sustains me. I love that part. He said this, I will not fear though tens of thousands have surrounded me all around. Mm. Arise, O Lord. Vindicate me, O my God. You've struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You've broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. His glory shall be upon all his people. He trusted God. Tonight, just trust God. Lift up your hands and worship him. Trust him. When, when, when you get that negative report and people love giving you the negative report, just lift up your hands and say, I trust you. I trust you, Jesus. And I'm going to praise you because you've never failed me before. And I know you'll never fail me in the future. I know you won't let me down.